0: Well, good morning. My name is Cameron, as Adam said. Hi, baby. Yes. I am an elder here. I am not the lead pastor. Uh, but I, as always, am thrilled any chance I get to come up and speak and chat with you guys on a Sunday morning. So I'm excited for this. And it's a fun one because in this month, the month of January, we're not doing a series. We're doing a series of stand-alone sermons. Um, in February, we're going to jump back into our next sermon series, which is going to be on the vision for the church. And I just it's going to be awesome. Like, I can't encourage you enough to, to be here in February for everything that's going to come. But today, Adam said I could preach on whatever I wanted, which is bold, but it's also exciting because I can finally, finally preach on my calculations for the exact date of the end of the world. And I've been working through this. I know you guys are excited about this, right? I brought my notes. If I can uh, get this bad boy to work. I brought my notes on... Uh, on what I think is going to happen so that we can walk through it together. I'm having a little trouble because every time I run them, it comes back with 2020 and we're clearly past 2020, so we're working on it. But Adam graciously offered to bring tinfoil so we can build hats at the end as sort of a hands-on exercise. It's going to be a really fun Sunday morning. Now, obviously, as fun as that would be, we're going to hopefully talk about something that's a little bit more helpful and a little bit more true. And we're going to look at a very famous sermon. A ser- It's called the Sermon on the Mount. Um, does anybody know why it's called the Sermon on the Mount, by the way? Nobody? It's really complicated. It's because Jesus preached from on a mountain. So his Sermon on the Mount. I know it's, it's kind of lame. Back in the day, they didn't have cool series titles like Christmas perspectives or dual citizen. They just had to refer to it by the context, but Jesus goes up on a mountain, and he gives one of his most famous and actually his most complete and longest sermon that we have recorded from the life of Jesus, and it covers a number of topics that are incredibly relevant for us today. Now, I know some, uh, some of you may be skeptics, you know, may have come here. You're not kind of questioning this Christianity thing. I don't know why you came. Maybe your your spouse forced you to come or a friend invited you or maybe you're just so tired of social distancing that you saw a crowd and you're like, boom, I'm there. You know, just people. I need interaction. Either way, we're thrilled you're here. Uh, But I always tell my skeptic friends, you know, I I just encourage you to read Jesus' actual words from things like the Sermon on the Mount. Because I think you'll find He's a little bit more interesting than you expect. And they always tell me, many of them tell me the same thing. Hey, Cameron, that's great. I don't read the Bible because I don't think it's true. And I'm like, come on, man. You read all sorts of stuff that you don't think is true before you read it. Case in point, anybody reading the news lately? (laughs) Anybody reading their social media feed? Looking at Twitter? No, the point is you read it first to determine whether it's true or false, right? That's the whole point of it. So get in and read it. And I think you'll find Jesus fascinating. In fact, many, many of my skeptic friends, they just hate Christianity because they're like, man, the hypocrisy in Christianity is just insane. And I'm like, hey, I'm with you. You know who's also with you? Jesus. Turns out he slams hypocrites in the Sermon on the Mount. And they love, or they love the line, you know, do not judge others lest you be judged. Well, that came from Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Everybody digs the golden rule, right? Do unto others as you want done unto you. That came from Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. So I was challenging. I I think a lot of people who don't like Jesus, when they read about Jesus, actually find that they like Jesus, right? But anyways, we're going to jump into the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to cover one verse from the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. And if you've been in church for a while, you know that the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount starts with a series of verses that all start with the exact same word, and have sort of counterintuitive statements that follow. And they're known as the Beatitudes. And they're known as the Beatitudes because the Latin word that starts each of those verses is beatitudos, Which means blessed or happy. So often most of our translations we will see in the Beatitudes the word blessed are blank. Blessed are blank. Some versions will have happy are blank. And what Jesus is doing is he's, it's kind of a double move. He's highlighting the kind of people... That are blessed are the kind of people that we would call happy, and he's also pointing us towards what true happiness would look like for us in the kingdom of heaven and kingdom of heaven on earth. And sort of it's it's sort of a double move that he's gonna he's gonna do within that. So we're gonna look at. The second beatitude, which you can find in Matthew 5, verse 4. Uh, you can find it on the screens. If you have your Bible, go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. Uh, Bible app is a great way to follow along, as Adam mentioned. Um, we'll have all the verses in there, and you can jump into it. But this is uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. It says this, blessed, or depending on your background, blessed. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed, or happy, Are those that mourn for they will be comforted? Now, I don't know if you're like me, but I'm looking at this and I'm like, man, this seems kind of backwards, right? I mean, happy are those that mourn for they will be comforted? No. Happy are those who are comforted and never have to go through mourning, right? I mean, if this is pointing us towards happiness, Jesus, are you telling me that I should seek out mourning so that I can get comfort? I mean, is with me that just seems totally backwards? That's like saying, uh, you know, I want to get sick so that I can get better. I just kind of like to avoid being sick in the first place. Right? But there's an underlying assumption that Jesus has built into this. An underlying assumption that his culture just readily accepted that our culture tends to reject. And it's this. If you are born, you will mourn. If you are born, you will mourn. I mean, make no mistake about it. If, if you are alive, and if you have a conscious awareness of what's going on around you, you will mourn. There's no escaping it. It's a fundamental piece of reality. Jesus said it this way in another verse. In this world, you will have trouble. And he's not talking about, like, you stubbed your toe, or you got a terrible parking spot at Costco yesterday during the craziness, you know, or your Starbucks wasn't that great this morning. Like, within the context of this verse, he's talking about being killed, being separated, being ostracized and driven out, like weighty stuff. In this world, you will have trouble. Now, his culture didn't deny this, right? I mean, it was so apparent in everything they did. Remember, this was before they had Tylenol before heating and air conditioning, before memory foam or soft toilet paper that feels great on your buns, when you can find it in the store, of course, right? I mean, this was, this was rough times. The infant mortality rate at this time was somewhere between 30 and 40%. Which means if you look to your left and you look to your right, don't breathe on each other. If you were siblings, one of you would likely be dead before puberty. I'll let you pick which one, you know? I mean, they lived in hard times. Pain and suffering was just so evident in all that they did. The average life expectancy was 35. Mourning was so apparent in all that they did because pain and suffering is a fundamental reality in our world. Now, our culture, our culture struggles with this idea because we've blo- or we've believed this lie that we can eliminate suffering. Right? We think, think, hey, if I just have enough money, like, I can eliminate suffering. And don't get me wrong, like, if you have money, you can live a lot cushier life than you can without it. Right? It's a lot more comfortable on a yacht than struggling in a slum. No doubt. But all the money in the world is not going to stop a heart attack. All the money in the world is not going to prevent biological aging. Now, you may be able to have surgeries that make you look like you're not aging, but your body's breaking down, I promise you. And the death rate, as we've talked about a couple times, the death rate is still 100%. Like, everybody's going to die. There's, there's no avoiding it, right? But we've also bought the, kind of a corollary idea that science and medi- you know, medicine, the world of medicine, is going to eliminate suffering. And yes, scientific breakthroughs and, and breakthroughs in the medicine world have reduced suffering in the world. But we've also seen how cures and treatments for cancers and disease themselves end up causing cancers and disease, right? And not only that, with scientific breakthroughs in the health world, we also have scientific breakthroughs in advanced weaponry. So I don't know if you know this, but these last hundred years, the last hundred years where we've had the most scientific breakthroughs in human history also saw more people killed by war than all of the other centuries of human history combined. Think about that. Yes, scientific discoveries are helping us in our battle against pain and suffering, but they're also increasingly a cause of pain and suffering. And these are, these are not even getting after things that money and science can't touch. There's all sorts of mourning in this world that they can't help with. There's mourning from broken relationships, from children who are rebellious and pushing away, from spouses who hurt us or leave us, from friends who stab us in the back. There's mourning when we recognize the own, our own brokenness, right? When I can't break that addiction to pornography or when I struggle with so much issues of identity in my body image, right? I mean, there's mourning when I, when I can't control my anger and I continue to lash out at the people I love the most. There's mourning when I don't get that dream job that I've always wanted or when I lose the job that I had. Or when I just even recognize that the dreams I had for my life aren't playing out. There's mourning when my family doesn't look the way I want it to, or when perhaps I can't even have a family at all. In this world, you will have trouble. Don't buy the lie. If you were born, you will mourn. In fact, if there's anything good that's come out of 2020, my biggest thing that I'm thankful for is that it's awoke many of us from our entertainment and wealth-induced comas and helped us to see the world as it actually is. A broken place full of broken people. I mean, we are jacked up, and the world is jacked up. Pain and suffering is a fundamental element of the human experience. So what do we do with that? Okay, great. It's a fundamental piece. Where do we go with that? Well, I'll tell you what. Jesus offers a pretty compelling response. Why are we co- to be considered blessed or happy when in that inevitable morning will come? Because we will bring, be comforted. Jesus says, I will bring comfort to you. And that's, that's wonderful, right? If I have to go through, mo- through mourning, thank the Lord that I'm going to have some comfort. It's like if I have to get sick, the number one thing you want to know is, am I going to get better, right? But it's even better than that. It's even better than that. In fact, if we look at the bigger verse of John 16, we see this. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Not in your wealth, not in your science, not in anything, but me. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart. Why? Because I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. As Adam talked about, Christ came down, Jesus came down, he took on pain and suffering, he took and bore all of that, and he laid down his life to defeat it. And he intends to destroy it completely, to right every wrong, to make it all better. Jesus says, yes, this world is broken. Yes, pain and suffering is fundamental to the human experience. That's not the way I intended it, that's not the way I created this thing and kicked it off, but I tell you what, In the kingdom of God, I will provide comfort when you're going through that. And not only that, I'm doing something about it. I came down into the muck and the mire with you, and I laid myself down to defeat it, and one day I will destroy it for good. Now that that sounds, to some of us, right, that sounds kind of stale. It sounds... If, I, if I'm going to be honest, it sounds a little lame at times, right? Some of us are like, hey, you know what? I, I'm going through some challenges. I'm going through some struggles, and this is really the best you have to offer me. And I've heard this before. God's going to bring comfort, you know, and someday in the future, probably long after I'm gone, he's going to right the wrongs. He's going to fix it. Like, it just doesn't, you know, not really original. doesn't really help me right now. doesn't bring me a lot of comfort in this moment. In fact, it just sounds kind of lame. And there's this great quote from Bertrand Russell. Anybody know who Bertrand Russell is? You guys aren't up on your 19th century atheist philosophers? No? Front row? Nothing? Well, Bertrand Russell had this very powerful question that sort of points out the lameness, at least in his perspective. He said this, how can you talk about God when you're kneeling at the bed of a dying child? How can you talk about God? How can you come with this, oh, he's going to fix it, he's going to right all the wrongs, and yes, he's with you, and da, da 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 even though I don't see him or sense him, and I can't see him working, but it just, he's working. How can you say that? Looking at a kid who's suffering and dying. And this is just, this is a critical point. In fact, if you've tuned out, I need you to tune back in for this point. It sounds lame because you haven't considered the alternatives. See, the thing is, as we've talked about, pain and suffering is a fundamental piece of every human experience, which means everybody has to answer that question. It's not just the Christian who has to come up with a solution. Everybody, every worldview, every philosophy, every religion has to give an explanation for pain and suffering as well as a solution for it. I thought this was such a powerful question and a challenge for Christianity until I heard William Lane Craig, Christian philosopher today, respond. And he said, What are you going to say, Bertrand Russell, atheist, philosopher, to a child on their deathbed? What comfort do you have to offer? And when you step through the alternative solutions, man, they're pretty lame. I'll tell you what. What is an atheist going to say? Hey, survival of the fittest, and you just weren't that fit. I'd say better luck next time, but really, you're just a collection of cells that's going to be decomposing six feet under. Is that comforting? Does that answer the emotional challenges that come with pain and suffering? How about this? How about karma? It's your fault. If you do good, good things will come. If you do bad, bad things come. So clearly, you screwed up. And if it wasn't you, it was in a past life you. But, you know, either way, it's your fault that you're going through this pain and suffering. How about the Buddhist mindset, right? If you just understand, pain and suffering is an illusion, Really, you're one with the universe, and so anytime you try to get attachments, you know, and grab onto things, that's what leads to your own pain and suffering. This is like the mindset of the Jedi, by the way, if you watch Star Wars, right? The whole idea is there's no good, there's no bad. You don't want attachments, and in fact, that's where Anakin got screwed up, right? He went sideways and fell in love with, you know, Natalie Portman, and that was a problem, obviously. I mean, who doesn't, right? I mean, come on. But that led to his downfall and his evil and all these things, but that's the mindset. It's just You just have to change your thinking. This is all an illusion. Is that helpful? How about Islam? What's a Muslim going to offer you? It's just the will of Allah. Your job's not to question Allah. Your job's to submit. This is the same kind of mindset of people that hold fate, right? It's just fate, suck it up, buttercup. It is what it is. And then... Then we get Jesus. Jesus who wept at the tomb of his friend, Lazarus, when he died. Jesus who came down and experienced suffering and all of it. Who says, yeah, this is not how it's supposed to be. But I tell you what, I'm doing something about it. I'm fixing it. I will right every wrong. And not only that, I will be with you through through it all man, that may sound lame until you consider it against the alternatives. Is any other game in town got a better answer for pain and suffering? Is anybody else offering a better understanding of where it came from, how it exists, and how we wrestle with it? Or even how does it get better? I don't think so. Now, it, you know, there's lots of things out there that sound great that, you know, may not be true, right? I wish I if I ate a ice cream every day, I'd get jacked and tan, but, you know, clearly that's not happening right now. I wish that if I put it on Jordans that I'd be able to dunk a basketball, but I'm still 5'11 and I'm still white. I wish that by being up here I could be as cool and as good-looking as Adam. But I still can't grow a beard. Now I've gotten beat on the hair department, but that margin's shrinking every day, right? So, how do we know that Jesus is right? Some of these guys would say, Yeah, that sounds wonderful, but honestly, it's not true. You just got to deal with the harsh truth. So, how do we know Jesus is somebody who could be taken seriously? And I just point them all the time to this history. Because in an event in history, Jesus came, died on the cross, and rose again. And I'll tell you what, we learned two powerful things at the cross dealing with this. One, if you can predict your own death and resurrection and then pull it off, like, I'm with you, right? Like, clearly you know what you're talking about, and you've got some power that the rest of us don't. So, like, whatever you say, I'm with you. We can trust that you know what you're doing. I haven't seen anybody else pull that off recently. So, one, we can take away that Jesus knows what he's talking about, and he's sovereign, right? Two, And this is a huge point, man. If someone is willing to die for you, there is no question of whether they are for you. If someone is willing to die for you, there's no question whether they are for you. They have your best interests at heart, they love you on a level that you can't even imagine. So when we look at the cross, an event that happened in history, this is not once upon a time in fairy land, we can walk away and we can go, you know what? Jesus knew what he was talking about. He had authority and he's sovereign. But maybe even more than that, he is good. And he cares about me. Which leads us to application. What do we do with this, right? How does this apply to us today? Some of us have wrestled with this issue of pain and suffering. How do we reconcile that with a good God, and, and, and how does that all make sense? And, and believe me, I think that's one of the most challenging questions, not just in Christianity, but in life, period. Like we said, everybody's got to answer that question. And if that's a challenge for you, I just want to encourage you, that's okay. In fact, we're going to offer a class, I know it's a little ways down the line, but in April, we're going to have a six-week class on pain and suffering, how to make sense of it, how to understand it logically, philosophically, within the, the context of Christianity, but also how to walk through it, how to help others walk through it. So I just encourage you to be on the lookout for that. But if that's you, if that's been a struggle for you for so long, I just cons- you know, encourage you, consider the alternatives. I've seen many a Christian walk away from the faith over these challenges of questions of how do we wrestle with this pain and suffering that we're having to go through. And when I have the chance, I talk to them and I encourage them, but I also ask them, like, hey, what answer did you find that was more compelling? Because if there's a better answer, I want to know it. But as far as I've found, there is not a better game in town for answering and dealing with pain and suffering. So if you're wrestling with that, I just encourage you, go seek out those alternatives. Seek what other people have to say about it and see if there's anything more fulfilling for you. And if you find one, come tell me. Some of us, though, some of us are in the throes, right? You're in the midst of mourning. You're in the midst of suffering, and it's been rough, whether it's from this past year and the events that have come from that or if it's just totally devoid of the circumstances that are going on. And I just encourage you, just seek Jesus. Seek the comfort that he promises. Stop self-medicating on on entertainment or on alcohol or on drugs or on self-help books and just bring that pain and that suffering and lay it at the feet of the Father. Because he alone can bring comfort, true comfort, not just distraction. Distraction. Some of us have done that. We're seeking the Lord, and we're like, Lord, where are you? You promised comfort. You promised to right wrongs. You promised, and and I'm not seeing it. I'm not feeling it. I don't know where you're working. What are you doing? And the timing that he's working on is not the timing that you had planned out for this, right? In those moments, man, as much as I can encourage you today, just reflect on the cross, reflect on the cross because when I look at the cross, I know that he is sovereign. I know that he is in control. And I know that he loves me more than I can imagine. So yeah, I'm not cool with this. Yeah, this is, this is awful. Yeah, I feel like I'm drowning. But we can come to the point where we go, you know what, I know you're in control. And I know you're good. And so I'm going to lean into you and trust where you're taking this. I tell you, this was um, this was all powerfully illustrated to me about four years ago when this uh, bundle of joy came into our lives. This is Madeline, who already introduced herself in the service. Uh, four years ago, she was born. And, of course, three days after she's born, you know, she's brand spanking new. We had to take her to uh, her first checkup. And, of course, in her first checkup, they draw blood, right, to check against any diseases or, or things that we gotta get ahead of or whatnot to make sure she's fine and, and, and everything's good. And, and it was fine. Nothing came out of it. But just a powerful experience when you think about this from Madeline's point of view. Because she's loving life, right? She's swaddled up. She, I was holding her. She snuggled up against Daddy. She knows Daddy loves her because I've just taken amazing care of her for her, her entire life, right? All three days. I hadn't dropped her yet. Um, and so she's just loving life. And then all of a sudden... Her leg gets yanked out from under her blanket, and someone stabs her in the foot, right? And she's like, WTF, Dad? What are you doing here? Like, I thought we were good, and all of a sudden, not only did you let this happen, but you were complicit. Like, you pulled my leg towards this guy. And believe me, there was great mourning that day. Like, she lost her mind. But, oh, my gosh, it was so powerful for me in the moment because I was in control, I could have stopped it. I could have said, no, doc, we're not going to do that. No, thanks. But I let it go on, get this, because I loved her. I let her go through that pain and suffering because of my love for her. Because I knew it was better to go through this temporary issue for the benefits that would come in the long run. And even more powerful to me, imagine, what am I doing throughout all of this? I'm holding her. I'm comforting her. And I just kept saying over and over, it's okay, baby. It's okay, honey. Daddy's got you. Daddy's right here. I've got you. It's okay. What a powerful illustration of our Heavenly Father. Because Madeline could not comprehend why she had to go through that pain and suffering. All she knew was that Daddy was holding her, right? Just as I can't comprehend why I have to go through pain and suffering and why this infinite God, who's far more wise and and loving than I can ever imagine, is putting me through it. But she knew that I cared for her and I comforted her throughout. In this world, you will have trouble. Don't buy the lie. If you are born, you will mourn. But take heart. And we can take heart, and we can have comfort because we can trust in a God who is in control and who loves us more than we could ever imagine. And one day, there will be no more pain, and there will be no more suffering, and there will be no more mourning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this, uh, in many ways, this world sucks. I mean, there's, there's goodness, and we see your beauty, and there's love, and there's a lot that we can enjoy. But there's also just immense pain, immense suffering, and hardship. And we are, we are just grateful for times when we can feel your presence, when you move. We're grateful that you did not just stay in heaven in comfort, but that you came down into the muck and the mire, the pain, the suffering, the mourning, and you took that on for our benefit and to right every wrong. We're thankful that we have hope when so many others look to solutions that just provide no hope, and when we're thankful that we have the demonstration in history that we can put hope in you and we can trust in you. I pray today for those that are hurting, those that are struggling. I mean, the world just seems on fire. We're grateful that we see it as it is now. We're not deluded over it anymore, but God, I pray that you would just be with people, that you would help us in our own lives to be hands and feet, to be out ministering and serving others and bringing your comfort. And I pray that you would just move in mighty ways, not only in our Hearts and in our families and in our communities and in our country but also the world that you would prove yourself the true God of the universe. Now in this time in our service we take a moment of reflection. We're going to sing another worship song but it's also just a time for you to, <clears throat> to respond how you will and how you need to whether that's just bringing that pain and that hurt to the feet of the Father whether that's praying for someone else who's struggling in these moments, whether that's standing and worshiping the God who has not left us to our struggles. Whatever it is for you, we just encourage you in this time. Father, we just pray that you would be praised and you would be blessed and that we could worship you with hearts focused on you. Amen.